Good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, and welcome to the American Age Podcast. This is your host, C. Travis Webb, editor of the American Age, and I am speaking to you from Galax, Virginia today. Ooh. I'm Stephen G. Fullwood. I'm the co-founder of the Nomadic Archivist Project. I'm coming to you today from Harlem, and it's a nice, chilly day. Hi, I'm Seth Rodney. I am the opinions editor and... Um, forgetting what my title is because it's changed. senior critic right senior critic thank yeah. you yes yeah, senior changed. critic at hyperallergic and i'm coming to you from sunny newburgh where i usually am on fridays mm-hmm. uh I, I want i want some credit for the fact that i i know your job title Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, so (laughs) this is to this is uh to remind our listeners that we practice a form of what we like to call intellectual intimacy which is giving each other the space and time to figure out things out loud and together um and today we're talking about um kind of broadly identity politics and and identity fraud right that's the the term Mm -hmm. that she uses so uh, this is a piece that Seth uh, kind of sent around uh, to us. And, um, and, um, so Seth, do you want to kind of intro the piece and, and get the conversation rolling? Yeah, I would love to, but um, I just realized that the piece isn't in my bookmarks anymore. And I'm not sure. Um, I, I honestly didn't. I took notes last night at like, midnight and i did not write down in my notes which run over for two pages i did not write down the author's name or her i know it's a her um or the title of the piece god bless me steven yeah i'm on it i'm trying to while you guys are talking just going looking for it if you hear anything in the so, background, there's some yeah. So normally we're all we're all on a weird setup. So I'm traveling. So normally it'd be easy for me to just pull it up on you know my laptop or something. So, but we want to make sure to give the the writer credit because you know Absolutely. it's a compelling piece. So the Absolutely. name of the article is called "Identity Fraud." It's by Jenny G. Zhang, and it was published October seventh, two thousand twenty-one, and she is an Asian woman who is postulating is it postulating she's um she speaks about this idea of using one's identity as a way to um using it fraudulently as a way to win an argument to i mean i think that's basically it for me <laughs> well, yeah, well a, cu- what, a cudgel right it's right. a cudgel as well, it's a cudgel. cudgel yeah well she yeah. has this wonderful quote towards the top of the piece where she says um, basically, she can shut down most people by just saying, "quote As a woman of color, if you criticize me, you're a bigot." My, my, like I, I mm. almost immediately have a problem with this. Although I know I, I do. I must, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, cool. So you, so, so, um, Stephen, tell me what your problem is with that. Specifically, the as a woman of color, if you criticize me, you're a bigot. That's just. I know that she's speaking a bit tongue in cheek, and also mm-hmm. feel like when she says. Her examples to me fall flat at times, mm. but not because they're not untrue. It's because I think that she's, I'm not her audience. Mm. I already know that they're race uh, hustlers. I know that they're women who are terrible in the office. I know that they're black queer people who have nothing on their minds except for, um, mm. you know, succeeding in a world that had largely marginalizes everything else, right? Mm. I get all that. Um, so I, I'm not her audience. But mm-hmm. I stuck with it because I felt like I was being too dismissive as I read it the first time. So the second mm-hmm. time I was a little bit more generous and tried to be open. Mm-hmm. And so, but like she is as a woman of color. Well, what, what woman of color are you? That's the first thing. And then <laughs> right. also, I don't buy it that online because I've been in a lot of these conversations where people kind of bring up their identity as a way to say that I have special experience that you do not. And therefore, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. I mm-hmm. listen to the argument. So mm-hmm. wh- whenever I here as a i remember one day i was going through a bunch of them as a black man i was like well as a white man i think this but as a white man i think that <laughs> and it's like so it, you know or me myself i i go i understand why that is a way to bring a different perspective into a conversation but the the word the phrase is good faith how are mm-hmm. you doing it and mm-hmm. and what do you what are you actually saying to this you know, mm. what is it contributing to? I was in a conversation mm. very recently, and we're talking about um, music industry, blah, blah, blah. And then someone brings up that they are 
um, as a woman, that, 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 that. And it, and I was like, okay, so first part, we got it. You're a woman. <laughs> the second part really didn't move the needle. It wasn't, mm. it didn't contribute to the conversation. Mm. It, it almost in some ways was um, taking it off its course. And I was like, oh, Preach. okay. Preach. Okay. And so last thing I'll say is that I think that we are still learning how to talk to people and talk to each other mm. about these, I think, really important markers of identity because it was co-opted from the Kambahi River Collective from 1977 and the politics even prior to that of black feminists who were doing this kind of work where mm. it wasn't a cudgel, it was more of a, it was more expansive. Mm. It was you, all these different identities intersect and mm. so, therefore, you cannot say, as a black woman, you would say what Audre Lorde used to do. I'm a black woman poet, mother, blah, blah, blah. And so all that was in the room. Mm. It mm-hmm. felt a bit awkward, but it was also a new way of kind of thinking about how we saw ourselves. So I really mm-hmm. appreciated that. So that's, mm-hmm. as a black man, a black gay man, <laughs> as a black gay man who's 55, <laughs> as a black gay man who lives in Harlem, as a black gay man who was from the Midwest, you know, mm. that doesn't, it can only tell you so much. And I love what Morrison said about her book, um, paradise. I, I she wrote. I, please go. I, I I say all this. I use this all. You've brought this up on the podcast before. I love it. Please, yeah, but say it yeah. again, please. Yeah. Uh, they shoot the white girl first. With the rest of them, they can take their time. And this is from Paradise. The reason mm. why Morrison did it is because she said, um, it didn't matter what the race the women were. It really mm. didn't mm. because. They were just coming to kill these women because they mm. felt that they were the pariahs and they were the people that were was ruining this all black community called Ruby. And mm. I thought that was so smart. Mm. And she writes sometimes and she goes, I don't identify people. Sometimes people go in and identify based on their ideas about what they hear, mm-hmm. their experiences and so forth. But what we're doing is we're what the worst of what identity politics can do is flatten you and your your job is never to be flattened. Mm. you know, into this one or two things for the, mm. the sake of winning an argument, because that's what, mm. what I think most mm-hmm. people are trying to do. Yeah. The, the way that you've phrased it before, uh, paraphrasing Morrison is that race is the least important thing, yes. least interesting thing about yes. that character. That's yes. the least interesting thing about that character. Or the least informa- um, least interesting thing about anyone. That's what she was sure, actually absolutely. saying. Of course. Yes. Of course. Yeah. Of and, course. And, that's and the I've, implication. And I've actually uh, borrowed that or stolen it. Um, and use that, Stephen, um, in, in conversations. Uh, I think I, when I was addressing a, uh, a class, uh, a college class uh, last year, or maybe this year, they kind of blur together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I said, you know, uh, there's something, I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I actually referenced you. Maybe, maybe I did steal it. I said, you know, mm-hmm. being, me being black is the least interesting thing about me. Mm-hmm. Um, what I do with that okay. is somewhat interesting. Okay. Um, so here, here's the thing. My problem with that quote, as a woman of color, if you criticize me, you're a bigot. I want to say, first of all, nobody ever has anywhere ever said that. Like, nobody, like <laughs> it's unspoken. It's unspoken. It, it might be in the, the room. That's the implication, right? right. I mean, that's right. the implication. That I mean, it's it's, it's implied. And right. It also, it's um, it's a straw thing, woman. It's a straw woman, though. It, it is. So I, yeah. it, I, I, I'm on the same side with you guys on this i mean mm-hmm. I, which is unsurprising i'm sure but mm-hmm. i do if i if i could maybe defend her point of view slightly mm-hmm. which is that i do think that she is talking about predominantly and and i i'm couching it this way to fit into the conversation even though i hate these type of categorizations mm-hmm. i think she's talking about predominantly white spaces in which this can be utilized mm-hmm. and and this is something that is still largely invisible to us which is that th- there are there are cultural spaces in uh, in the United States in particular that are still very much shaped by a kind of you know buttoned up waspy decorum and everyone is like walking on eggshells all the time and parsing everything all the time and and 
conversations around race and mm-hmm. and and being labeled, you know, as being insensitive to race or insensitive to whatever fill in the blank mm-hmm. has just kind of mapped itself onto this kind of button-down, uptight decorum. And so what she talks about, I believe this strategy, like in the spaces that you probably both inhabit, I mean, you have have incredibly diverse friendships and professional relationships. I I don't know. The impression I got from reading her article is that that wasn't the kind of institutional uh, situation she was talking about. She was talking more mm-hmm. about the the other kind of stiffer settings. Well, I get that. I do get that. And also, I, I, I my personal experience hasn't been that experience, largely because I've worked in largely Black-focused or Black institutions, mm-hmm. or independently. But I know those stories from friends, mm-hmm. from family members, and so forth. So I, mm-hmm. it's not that I'm not aware of it. I think that I have a big problem with thinking that if someone says, as the only black man in the room, I, da, 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 that that's a representation of power. That's the issue I have. Because it's course, not really. Of course it is. What it is, it's a, it could be seen as on one level, well, you know what? We need to get more black people in here. <laughs> I think of it as, it, it never happened that way. It's not, it's not, what is it, the uh, hidden figures of film about the black women math- mm-hmm. mathematicians. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And there is, um, who's the guy from Waterworld? I always forget his name. Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner. Like, there's no real life situation where a white character went in and, and said, black women now can use this bathroom. But that's in the film. <laughs> Right. And that's the kind of thing I think this particular author is wrestling with. And in some ways I'm like, "Mm, I get it, but it's not really power. It's the Mm. it's it's bypassing the actual work you need to do to get work done. So you hire somebody without without any regard to their politics, but based on their sex or their sexuality or their race. And so nah, it's not power. Well, I want to push back on that a little bit because I think there mm-hmm. is a way in which um, self-identi- self-identifying as being a member of a marginalized group can be a kind of power move in certain situations. Mm-hmm. I'll give the sure. the, 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 the a- anecdote here is way back when I was living in Southern California mm-hmm. and where Travis and I met, um, I was at some meeting. I forget I forget exactly what it was about. Okay. But I was, um, I think I was a grad student at the time. I think I was at UC Irvine. And it was some sort of like town hallish kind of thing, wrestling with some issue with teaching, I think. And I, and I was a TA, so I was at the meeting. Mm-hmm. And I said something about some approach, some pedagogical point. I don't remember what it was. Mm-hmm. But I said what I said, and then there was a woman, black woman, who was, um, see, I didn't even need to say that. I didn't. Whatever. Mm. Ah, but let's see. Let's see. What's your story? There was a woman next to me, and she said, um, she said, well, do you have any children? And the way she said it, basically, it was to close me down. It was to, it was to deauthorize mm-hmm. what I, whatever it is mm-hmm. I just said. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, mm-hmm. I, and I said, No. And she said, well, you know, I have children and blah, 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 blah. So she was pulling authority. She was, mm-hmm. she was, she was depowering me and empowering herself in that moment, mm-hmm. right? By saying basically, okay, you know, like, and, and, you know, it didn't need to be, it didn't need to be explicitly stated, but the implicit, uh, 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 conclusion was that I didn't know what I was talking about because I didn't have children myself. So yeah, I'm, what was the situation though for her to make talking that remark? about? Well, we were talking about teaching. It was it was a pedagogical kind of got it, conversation. Got it. And so, Steve, Steve, I actually I'm surprised that you would. So you wouldn't. You don't think. I mean that that's definitely a kind of rhetorical power at, in 2021 America to be able to <laughs> to claim the higher moral ground based on one's identity. I mean, it happens all the time. No, I'm not place. saying it doesn't right, happen. I'm right. just saying that I don't know if it's power. I feel like it's. I mean, it's. It feels like I guess what I'm trying to do is to parse out what I think actual progressive mo- movement looks like, as opposed to. Um, oh yeah, it's it, bullshit, it, but yeah, it's still rhetorical thing, power. <laughs> well, see, I don't feel like it's all bullshit either. I feel like it's it's in this. It all feels like the reason I was asking Seth earlier about what was the um, the mm. context because if someone, oh gosh, I wrote it down. I wrote it down. It's so it feels like. 
the kinds of it feels like change is iterative rather than very very slow when it comes to progress so i know that there are people mm-hmm. who are using this strategy to not have a conversation but i don't know right. if that's power i feel like right. that doesn't really serve like the conversation you're talking about pedagogical Who's to say Seth didn't teach kids or has nieces and nephews or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Being a parent doesn't mean that you're a good parent. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. that you're an aware parent. It just right. So mm-hmm. for for me, because our we have the, I love this t- um, term attention economy. We have more access to these kinds of conversations now, which I think is good mm-hmm. to parse them and to actually mm-hmm. learn how not to talk to people, right? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> um, if you want to have a conversation, and I don't think that woman did, based on um, the information you gave me, right. she wanted to win. She wanted right. to say, I know something that you don't. Right. And in a in a better good faith conversation, you know, it's like, so um, something else, she could have opened it. She could have even said the same thing in a different tone. Right. Or and she could have asked me, like, right. given that I have children and you don't, what do you think not having, or what your experience is, is like, what brings to this conversation? Absolutely. So like, does, let me know. Right. Absolutely. Right. So I don't feel like it's, I don't feel like it's power. I feel like it's, right. um, it's guilt, white guiltiness. And it's also some other kind of thing that really doesn't translate into actual movement. Mm, mm. Yeah, so I, 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 maybe I'm tripping over the power word, and it sounds to me like you're using it in a more edifying way. I'm trying um, to, and 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 I'm, I mean it just in this, sh- in the sheer like you get to speak louder or hold the microphone when someone and someone else doesn't, and like you get to turn the volume up and they they don't get to mm-hmm. turn the volume up. So mm-hmm. in in that way, so a hundred percent agree with your your position that it's not edifying and it's actually it it actually keeps real progress from being made it it actually shuts down conversations that need to be had around these issues but it's power that is shutting down those conversations right now we've empowered you know these kind of these identity markers with some kind of authority and uh, and we're suffering the consequences of that. So I, I, I don't know. I think I probably end up agreeing with you. I just probably, I, I would, I would want to use power a bit more sort of flatly or capaciously, um, kind of both at the same time, I guess. So but can I, I quote, go sure. ahead. no, go ahead, Stephen. I was going to say that I'm not mm. completely on board with it completely not being useful okay. because it is okay. useful. Again, you learn how not to talk to people or you learn that if right now I don't want, it's interesting because the position I was taking is that i don't want to use that rhetorical strategy to move something along. Again, I don't mm-hmm. want to be right. I want to see what I can learn about a situation. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. for me, it's useful in that way. Even if mm-hmm. it's, you know, the um, the swatting down of identity politics, identity politics has been run into our heads to death. And I'm like, well, well all politics how are identity help? politics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, well, all politics are ident- all politics are identity politics from right. the very beginning. I mean, but, but you the count that, that person doesn't count. Yeah, right. it's not. It's so. It, the thing is, right. it's not even co-op. It's just this is the strategy that we're using in 2021, and it has advantages and disadvantages. Well, we also and, use it in the 1990s with all the cultural wars that oh, yeah, you're yeah. one aware of. People have been using this, yes, and even prior yeah, to the cultural that's, war, you yeah, know, but, that's that's what what I, like, right? But what's I'm different from now? Sparta, <laughs> like, like that's that's right. identity politics, yes, right? But what's different now is that there's a way in which, and I think th- this might be part of why we in the intellectual communities are particularly sensitive uh, mm. to to the wielding of these of these cudgels is that this mm. might be the first time in US history maybe maybe mm. where whiteness is almost by default suspect like it used to be that not non-whiteness was by default suspect. Mm. But now the conversation has moved to the point where whiteness is by almost, almost in a lot of spaces by default suspect. Um, and she says it, she says it really clearly um, here. Uh, uh, let me quote from her. She said, I now see that so much of how I and others talk about diversity, inclusion, and progress in this context is rooted in barely coached professional self-interest rather than a real commitment to upending the insular 
mm-hmm. insular mm-hmm. elitism that claims so much of how this industry works. Um, uh, 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 the the question I want to move on to, like if we can move on to mm-hmm. this from the from the um, issue of power, is what does she mean by this industry? What industry? I think she's talking about like the the intellectual entertainment industry. I mean, you wouldn't call it that normally, but like the industry of uh, gawker writers and Atlantic okay. writers and opinion setters mm-hmm. and kind of elite pundits. I mean, that's mm, it's. Right. You know, it's a scrum. It's a, it's an absolute vicious free for all to, you know, to to get to the top of that heap and to stay at, on the top of that heap, uh, especially when you've got dwindling revenues at these at, at many of these uh, legacy media companies. So mm-hmm. I think that's the industry she's talking. It's about. also pretty mm-hmm. desperate because you you can't. For me, the, the wholesale doing it wholesale meaning uh, I have it. It's it's here. It's this idea of. That there is a heap to be on top of mm-hmm. when it's always shifting, mm-hmm. always mm-hmm. shifting, right? Mm-hmm. And so yeah. the 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 notion of whiteness being suspect has always been. I just feel like we have more voices, we have more access to stories and ideas and entertain. I mean, come on, there's a movie made every fucking day. It seems like, and we're on a podcast, so there's a million fucking podcasts. So you're constantly being presented with these ideas. They're not just in neighborhoods anymore or in special spaces, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We, the world's community now, we're talking about these issues. Mm-hmm. There's always been suspectness of oppression or oppressors, mm-hmm. always. Now we just have more language around it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also have more people in positions of power and authority co-opting up, uh, the language of the oppressed to oh, position no, themselves in cultural debates. That's just and, the culture and vulture. Think, yeah, the culture vulture. Uh, yeah. yeah. And 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 I think that in progressive spaces, the ones that you all and I, you know, tangentially inhabit uh, still, whiteness is white heteronormativity is absolutely villainized. I mean, that's not even like that. That's not even a question. Like that is it is absolutely clear as day. Now, there's fifty percent of the country in which it's not, in which it's in which it's valorized. So. I'm not saying that, like, you know, America is over. That's not my point. Mm-hmm, but in mm-hmm, in, in mm-hmm. the cultural spaces and the habitus that we that we find ourselves embodied in, absolutely, white heteronormativity is is on the outs. And if you, mm. oh, I'm sorry, Stephen. No, no, no. I want to hear what you're going to say because I, I think you're getting to something I'm, I'm interested. Yeah, I think uh, I was yeah. just going to probably repeat what I said in a different way. <laughs> I, wasn't, I don't well, think I was just I was just making it was just making that claim. So well, I, I want. I, go ahead, Stephen. Sorry. I'm so sorry. The whole, go ahead, try, um, stuff because I'm thinking about whiteness as a thing as opposed to a person, and right. I want to parse this idea out more so because the whiteness has always been suspect. Now I think that mm. if pe- people, I think that we're also getting to know more and more stories about people who have constantly cultures have constantly challenged the idea. Mm. I think right now maybe what's happening, Travis, is that the media is shifting around it. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that whiteness wasn't valorized. It was the notions of what it, white people weren't valorized. It was we want access to these things, and I didn't want to conflate oh, the no. two around white, having a good life yeah. and whiteness. Do you know? That's yeah, what I so wanted I, to challenge. Yeah. Well, there is a kind of historical conflation, right? Like what? what yeah. When 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 you when you look at the picture of the nineteen 19th- the white man's burden. Yeah. Or you look at the picture, or you look at the picture of middle class success in the 1950s. What do you have? You have a white woman, right, in in the long um, sort of A-line skirt, Mm -hmm. with two children, the house, the lawn, the husband who has the corporate job. Um, She has a a a nanny who's like typically like just out of frame, Um, like (laughs) whiteness was taken to be the sort of default position. Of um, of cultural, uh, uh, um, not even well. It's a couple of things are conflated, right? So it's like success, right, of, right. Of, of cultural dominance, of of um, middle class uh, uh, comfort. Like it was just, it was just sort of the default position. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. the whitest. I mean, if you, if we want to parse them, I mean, this is something that we talk about a lot that I I regularly try to do mm-hmm. because we fail to parse them in our public discourse. Mm. The whitest thing in America right now is woke culture. 
if you're talking about mm. whiteness in in the capacious metaphysical sense, mm-hmm. uh, well, let, let me let me stake my yeah, claim. Yeah, I skeptical of it. So, so the reason that wokeness is is white is because by virtue of your identity, you have claimed some virtue and purchase or place in the world that you deserve to have. That's that's whiteness. Being born white, the idea of being born white, as opposed to uh, some other, you know, marginalized people is means that your place at the table is set for you and waiting. That's what whiteness meant for 300 years of European history. The other thing that's total bullshit, not to go off on a tangent, is whiteness was not invented by in America. It was invented in 1630 by Thomas Middleton uh, of the British Empire. That was the first mm-hmm. mention of white people. So whiteness underlies colonial expansion in the Western world for 400 years. Absolutely, that is that is true. And white, quote unquote, white bodies which have shifted over the time. Stuart Hall figured this out 50 years ago. It shifts all the time. It has nothing to do with literal white bodies. And so to round it back out, being woke is being white today. Like it's totally flipped and subverted. Yeah, I need a better definition of wokeness then. I mean, yeah. I need to know what you mean by it because I'm a little confused. No, no, I'm I'm so, I'm not I okay. mean I I get what Travis is mm-hmm. getting at. I think what Travis is getting at is this notion that yeah, and I just and I can totally see why Stephen, you want to parse out um, what you what wokeness um, constitutes because in mm-hmm. my neck of the woods, being woke means being essentially means being sensitive to all these um, relationships of power and of knowledge that mm. are in the ether, and then your sensitivity means that. Or your sensitivity changes your behavior in such a way that you are always constantly, you are constantly couching the way you see things as contingent on your subject position in the world. So I will. So this is where the I am the black as a black man as a as a as a as a Jamaican immigrant. I want to say that I see this in this way. But, and there's a but in parentheses, right? Mm-hmm. I understand that somebody else who's, co- who's going to speak next is going to have a different experience, and their experience is just as valid as mine. So that's, that's a version of wokeness. That's what a you're very talking generous about, one, too, yes. Yes, yes. And let me thank you for, for the codicil, because I want to say mm-hmm. um, explicitly to our listeners, that version of wokeness almost never shows up. Yeah, right. It's it's, 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 it's theoretical, right? Like, like in the circles that I run in, in the art scene, um, most people are not that generous. Most people just say I, as a blah, 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 right. in order mm-hmm. to, yeah. to, in order to not, not leave space for someone else, but to, in order to cordon off an area around mm-hmm. them, right? right. That is yeah. not, uh, not permeable to anybody else's critique. Yeah, That's- I appre- I appreciate yeah, I appreciate the uh the way that you articulated what the woke ideal is because that's something I'm a hundred percent behind. Because mm-hmm. I mean, th- the idea of being sensitive to one's subjectivity and other people's subjectivity and their experience vis-a-vis the world is something we should all strive for. It's Absolutely. something it's aspirational and it's something that I try to do no matter who I'm talking to, and I would encourage all of us to do that. But and that's I, what I need. I think you rounded it. Yeah, yeah, I think you rounded it out really well. Which is, but that's not what happens. <laughs> well, because that's, anything that's not like, in practice. What happens? Anything could be weaponized in this war, this cultural war. Anything. Mm-hmm. The yeah, greatest, funnest, yeah, most interesting fair. thing could be like you. Yeah, you're so sensitive. Fair. Look at all these cultural. Was it um, social justice warriors? I remember the first time I heard that. I was like, "What does that mean?" Mm. Because the context was yeah, it was fair. not a good thing. Oh, here comes the cat. He wants to jump up on my lap. <laughs> excuse me. I guess he heard social justice warrior and wanted to come over and go. I'm one of these. I'm a cat, but I want all <laughs> cats to be. <laughs> but um, well, cats yeah. to be free. But I do think, so I always think about context when it comes to, I, I just really need to invest more time in, in, in reading more and listening to people on the right, because I'm trying to figure out how they're seeing things. I don't want to, no, I, I no longer want to just dismiss them. There's sometimes certain um, things come up on my feed. I'm like, I'm not watching, I'm not reading that. 
because sometimes the reporting is not good or that it's it just takes me out of my um, zone and then I have to think about something. Right. But I want to spend more time with that because the language is like when I think of like universal health care, I go, why would anybody be against that? <laughs> because there are politics involved with that. Well, so, I can, I can, well, I can actually, so the thing, I've been paying attention to the right for a while now, obviously, mm-hmm. and you guys know that after 2016, um, I started paying attention to it. Um, mm-hmm. And they're, quite honestly, they are eating the progressives lunch right now. I, I don't just mean because of the elections that happened on November 2nd. Mm-hmm. I mean that they, and not because they're certainly more principled or that's, of course, that's nonsense. That's ridiculous. Obviously these are the people uh, that have really have the power in, in uh, conservative politics are mm-hmm. uh, the largest oligarchs in the world. I mean, you know, and, and people invested in that kind of power structure. So I'm not idolize. I don't idolize them at all. But they have they've figured out an effective strategy, and and that is capitalizing on what is largely being missed. And so, mm. for example, all of these like sort of like kind of what they call you know they used to call kitchen table. I'm not used to. I guess they still call kitchen table issues. This is what motivates the vast majority of people to vote and do the things that they do. Most people do not care about critical race theory. They don't mm. care about the uh, the Pledge of Allegiance. They don't care about, you know, Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays. They are not invested in the things that animate us. They just mm. don't care. They just they, It's just not on their radar. What mm-hmm. they care about are like the thing that uh, the thing that cost uh, Virginia the, uh, the the thing that cost the Virginia election the Democrats the Virginia election was the mm-hmm. fact that parents were pissed that schools were closed for a year and a half while private school kids uh, were continuing to go to school and public schools were being leased out to private childcare providers in the same environments so. It, this was something that this and so they voted for the Republican because he wasn't the one that was backed by the teachers union. He wasn't the one that was, mm. you know, basically saying parents should stay out of their kids education. It had this the CRT thing that could like that's just not that's a thing that that we care about. People like us care about in our and those are debates that we are invested in. And so, again, on the identity side of it. If we care about progressive politics, we lose on this issue by focusing on the things that we're focusing on. Hmm. So my sense, on a sort of wider, in a sort of wider angle view of the healthcare, uh, universal healthcare issue, mm-hmm. which is what which is what Stephen brought up initially. I, you um, know what? It's, I, I only I, it, can I just ahead. say really quickly. It, my, that's my two hours of that's my two hours of sleep. I started to talk about healthcare and jumped to the election. <laughs> I was wondering. I was like, I don't. I'm not sure the that that was. That's why I, I, cake is good. Like, Travis, <laughs> what are you talking that's about? Right, that's right. That's right. That's right. I'm sorry. I told you guys at the beginning. I was like, if I start screaming about vaccines, you got to stop me. So that's what. That's what. Just, that's what just happened. Ashley made that joke happened. in my mind. I was going to say vaccines. You know, just to throw you off, but not fair. No, um, so can, my, I, can I? Go ahead. The one thing is. Um, the conservative argument against universalized healthcare is that uh, it's a very small. One of the main arguments is that it's a very small percentage of the population that does not have healthcare anymore, and so the actual majority of mm-hmm. of, of Americans are covered by private insurance and Medi-Cal and all the rest of that. So yeah, that's one. <laughs> but the other argument that I'm familiar with is the one that that um, basically is if we keep expanding social programs. <gasps> and universalized healthcare, you take away patient choice and you potentially bankrupt the nation. You don't want. The, yeah, the, those are there too. Right. The yeah. idea that you don't want to end up being Venezuela uh, um, uh, uh, seems to be banned. <laughs> and not Canada? Oh, yeah. Got it. Right, right, right. Exactly. <laughs> right. But. But but here I want to get back to I want to get back to the piece I want to there's a particular point uh, she, where she says something that I just think is brilliant and. Um, Oh my God! Did I not write this? No, I didn't. I didn't. Go ahead. I do think I, I was going to say I do, I do think though, and I'm happy to talk about that. But but where the identity part kind of ties in to the healthcare thing mm-hmm. is that 
identity politics is one of the ways we avoid having the hard conversation about universal health care in the United States. Mm. So for it's it's one of the things that the squad does, for example. So the real issue with national health care, so which I am I, I am a thousand percent behind and will take that to my grave. I think a, a, a culture and society, it's an it's the whole compact with civilization. You take care of the people that are sick. That's what you do. That's the whole fucking point of us right. having this whole complex right. setup. So right. there, you. I don't care what. I mean, I, of course, I do care what the cost is. The cost has to come into it at some point. Mm-hmm. But here's where no, why no one is serious, including Bernie Sanders. The only way to pay for this is for every single person in the country to pay more taxes. You cannot tax the rich enough. Economists, like nonpartisan economists, healthcare economists have looked at this. Mm. You cannot soak the Jeff Bezoses of the United States enough to pay for universal health care. Everyone's taxes have to go up mm. to levels that are comparable to other countries that have universalized health care where mm. everyone is paying taxes. Like mm. even if you're making $25,000 a year, your taxes would go up. Mm. That's what it would take to tackle that seriously as a nation. And no mm. one's talking about that. Like mm-hmm. the AOCs as are, you know, so that's where the identity politics thing comes into it as it kind of gets in the way. So sorry, Seth, I just mm-hmm. want to make sure that. No, that's fine. That's fine. that's fine. Uh, I want to uh, move on to talk about this particular sentence, um, maybe a couple of sentences that she has that really stuck with me because I, it's a complex thought and it may actually be one of the more most complex thoughts in this piece. She says, more and more, I'm convinced that such a conceptual reach is in, is it Iano's? I, I'm sorry, I don't, I can't read my own blasted handwriting. Um, um, some person's names, words, little more than a racial Reaganomics, oh, which yeah. is a strategy reliant on fantasies about the exchange rate between the attention economy and the material economy. Let's break that down. What does that mean? Mm. Can you can you repeat it again? Because sure. I got distracted by the name thing. Yeah. So more and more, I'm convinced that such a conceptual reach is in Blank's words, little more than a racial Reaganomics, a strategy reliant on fantasies about the exchange rate between the attention economy and the material economy. So I th- I think that's the tr- the trickle down idea that somehow yeah. mm-hmm. by using by using attention you're gonna you're going to effectuate a material change. Right. So she actually, Um, she's, she's calling that out. She's calling that out as, as not real. Right. She's actually said, so she said this in the context of talking about the whole uh, argument around, uh, uh, increased representation. So like, so Mm -hmm. Asians are getting battered in the streets. If we put more Asians Mm -hmm. in movies and like, you know, um, you know, uh, roles in which they're like, you know, the superheroes and they're the conquerors right. and then the rich, super rich agents, like that makes it possible for us to see Asians as more human. Like it's like it, it does, it kind of falls apart. She's, and I think she's so kind of right. I'm softer on that one than you are. I mm. get the argument. I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't. I wouldn't fight very hard for it, mm. but I am softer on the symbol thing. I do think it, matters mm. i think you know and and i and i would i i think it sometimes is used it it's granted too much explanatory power but it has some explanatory power and that is that you know the 2016 election happened after 2008 and 2012 and so i i don't think that obama's election explains all of trump's election i don't think that but mm-hmm. that there was a little bit of the we elected the magic negro and the country is not fixed now we're mad and so i i do think mm. that the symbols i do think that the symbols matter and, and and but i do understand the, the counter argument and I, I like i said i wouldn't argue forcefully for it but i feel like i feel like those of us that were trained in in kind of materialist um, dialectics and and, mm. and sort of materials grounded philosophies. I sometimes feel like we dismiss the symbolic too quickly, um, and that it it has it has something to say about the direction of the country. No, it clearly does. Go ahead, Stephen. Mm-hmm. Oh, say what you're going to say because you might was might well, say what I'm going to say. Well, it's, uh, yeah, I want to say yes and no. Like it matters that mm. when I was growing up, I saw the Cosby Show. 
Um, uh, got mm-hmm. it. This feels so fraught to say this shit because the guy who was behind <laughs> that show was a serial rapist. Oh, because okay. you want to be yeah, a rapist. You, you did, but, you you didn't, to- but you didn't know that. <laughs> right. You were intuitive. Yeah, I'd like a lot of women too that... Uh, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> but, but I mean, it, it, was, it, it made a difference that I saw black people on te- television who were middle class, mm-hmm. who were um, mm-hmm. upper middle class, actually, who uh, had a whole family and uh, the kids went off to college and uh, the mother was a lawyer and the father was a doctor. And um, I mean, did, it made you know it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't watching good times you know it was mm-hmm. like it was it right. was it made me feel better frankly it like mm-hmm. made me feel mm-hmm. like oh yeah like black people can totally have middle class lives like they, like they, like I, but the, had you it, seen middle class black families before that i mean you I mean, come from a middle class family pretty pretty much i mean my yeah. uh, my my parents came to this country very working class. My father okay. was a plumber. My mom was a, a school teacher. In the course of my growing up, okay, they okay. affixed themselves into the middle class by essentially becoming, my mom became a professional mm-hmm. registered nurse and my dad became a landowner. Right? He right. became a landlord because he saved up his money, bought houses, blah, blah, blah. Bought mm-hmm, properties. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, that was around me, Stephen, for sure it was. Mm-hmm. And you know, when I went to church on Sunday, I saw mm-hmm. mostly middle class and working class folks at church. Uh, so, mm-hmm. uh, but at the same, so, you know, it was, uh, it, it, there's an asterisk. Okay. I went to church in Harlem, not too far from where you live. So, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, in fact, it's Grace Gospel Chapel, which is on the corner of Lenox Avenue and like 135th Street or something. Oh, I know where you're at. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, on the way there, we would drive through um, certain avenues, and I, I thought, I thought like a bomb had gone off in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Like there was like trash everywhere. So you know, mm. it was kind of six of one, half a dozen of another. I, all that to say this: symbols do matter, yes, but mm-hmm. it's it's hard, it's super hard to parse how much they matter. And what I think she's arguing in this piece is that there's a kind of cultural regonomics at work in that, um, or she's using this other person's argument to basically say, Mm. we can't really know how much of a difference it makes to see super rich agents on on the the Mm. movie screen. Like it makes a difference, but it's hard to quantify. So it feels like we're too close to the ground to know how fast progress can happen. Do you mm, know what I mean? Mm. Like if we were up, we we need more cosmic-y up where time is a little bit more, you know, relative because mm. we, we know that people who saw somebody do something mm. and then had voice or some sort of platform to say, I saw this and therefore I was able to become that. We mm. do see that and we've seen mm. it all along, but again, we can't, it's hard to quantify. Absolutely. When mm. I first read that, I was like, no, absolutely. And I know that growing up watching certain kinds of performers excited me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go for that. Mm-hmm. And definitely writers. Baldwin mm-hmm. was a tremendous influence mm-hmm. on me in terms of his writing, but also what he wrote about. Because mm-hmm. he was just, he, he seemed like mm-hmm. the kind of person, um, mm-hmm. earlier, um, this last week I was with Nicole Fleetwood, who wrote the book Marking Time, Agent mm-hmm. Art in the Age of Incarceration mass incarceration and she also has an exhibition that i'm working with right now and she said something we were in, in a meeting with some other folks and chatting and she says i read everything and i love people who read everything because mm-hmm. i read everything i don't just read the things that are allegedly supposed to uh make me feel good or affirm my own biases i'm reading whatever interests me do you know and i think that i've gone afield i don't know what the fuck i'm saying um <laughs> That I, we're oh, talking about symbols, 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 but also symbols in terms of the people, because we're actually talking mm-hmm. about the people. Mm-hmm. So when I saw the Cosby Show, by contrast, I remember just being bothered. I just wanted to look at Denise. I thought she was cute, mm-hmm. but I didn't like the way that Cosby ran his house. You know, he was. I didn't care for that kind mm-hmm. of matriarch. I mean, patriarch. I found, and I also found mm-hmm. it ludicrous that both of them were professionals and they were at home all the time. I was like. <laughs> Mm. Y'all know y'all need. Where are the servants? Right. Where's the, the nanny? Right. 
I right. mean, she's a high-powered lawyer. Walks in, looks like she has never tried a case in her life. But of course, <laughs> that's what we're supposed to buy, right? <laughs> and then there were, you know, but the impact of that particular program peop- and a different world, people went mm. to college because of those things. They mm. were encouraged to go because they wanted to be a part of that culture. So mm. more than a few people have told me that. I had mm. to go to college because I failed as a musician, as a rock star. Mm. And I was like, mm. oh, I got to do something because I don't want to be here. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, I think, <clears throat> you know, talking about the identity stuff and, uh, you know, I think if I, if I dial back my frustration a little bit, mm-hmm. my, my main beef is that it's just, it's as if someone sat down at the piano to play a piece and they just kept hitting the same fucking note over and over again or the mm-hmm. same chord over and over and over like, I get it. I want to hear that chord. I want to know about your identity. I want to know mm-hmm. what you've gone through. I want to know how that informs your life. Mm-hmm, I want mm-hmm. to know what it's like to walk through the world with your face on. I'm interested in all that stuff. I'm sensitive to all that stuff. But it's not the only thing. Right. It's just not the only thing. Like, that's it. It's just not the only thing. Like, it doesn't explain every aspect of American electoral politics. It doesn't explain every opinion. It doesn't explain every relationship breakup. Like, it doesn't, like, it's, it's something, it's a data point, but it's not, it's not the filter to see every human interaction through. And that's my main frustration with it. So it's a, it's, I had the best word in my mind for this. So sometimes it's the only way people, have purchase in certain mm, situations, mm, right? Mm, so I yeah, get that's true. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's true. I, I hope it's the right word because I feel like I'm not trying to say at the end of the day again that it's power. It's voices being heard. I'm not in a lot of situations where it's automatically assumed I have nothing to value to offer. I'm not mm-hmm. in a lot of those situations. So, or that I'm dismissed because I'm black or because I'm I'm gay or whatever. I'm not in a lot of situations like that. When I was younger, I felt more of that because I worked when I came, I, came, I was the culture shock for me was coming from a black neighborhood, black school and then moving into the white working world. Pizza Hut, going to college, University of Toledo. That's where the, a lot of it is. It wasn't that mm. I didn't know about white culture or white people and, and knew them. It was just that it was overwhelmingly white. At times. Mm. And so that tension, um, mm. it was it was really literature that saved me. Mm. It was literature, mm. it was culture, it was music. It was, mm. And also, it was a, I wanted to be with someone, but I didn't want what I was bringing discounted mm. automatically out of hand. I was told by mm. a woman who said, my father was in the Holocaust. Slavery was over, blah, blah, how many years ago? And I go, I'm not going to disrespect... <laughs> what your father and your family as a result experienced, but you're not going to minimize mine. Right. For sure. And it was, it's, and that was, that was exhausting, but it was Mm -hmm. also kind of like a a line in the sand. Can we just say that these things, we don't have to do the oppression Olympics. Mm -hmm. We don't have Mm -hmm. to do that. But Mm -hmm. if we're not learning how to communicate, this is why I don't have a problem with sometimes with, with these kinds of arguments, because you learn hopefully how to communicate better, to take those Mm -hmm. examples and go, I'm not going to leave with that. Or mm-hmm. ask questions, or because you're trying to have that intimate human connection. That's if you mm. want it, which is, leads me back to the piece really quickly, which is where she goes. For that reason, the burden lies upon each individual who is capable of committing identity fraud to peer within themselves and ask, is whatever that's happening actually bigoted? I was like, first of all, identity fraud people are not trying to do none of that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. exactly. Identity fraud and race right. hustling and gender right. hustling and sexuality right. hustling. It's a hustle. <laughs> damn right. You damn right. So no, they're not going to do that, you know. Right, and so right. I just kind of laughed at the point where you wish. But right. um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. so, I mean, if you, it really boils down to whether or not you really want to have an uncomfortable, potentially uncomfortable, awkward conversation about these issues with someone mm-hmm. that you may think agrees with you, you know. Mm-hmm. But like you said, I mean, if race is the least reliable piece of information you have about someone, Toni Morrison, then it's, um, then you have, what else have you got? So and she's actually me, mentioned, mm-hmm. sorry, 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 Stephen. Um, mm-hmm. She has a beautiful quote, um, the writer of this piece. Uh, she says, mm-hmm. um, um, 
Again, uh, uh, my handwriting is atrocious at uh, 12.30 <laughs> at night. So something like Solar Mohandesi so points to how the overpersonalization of politics leads to identity becoming a political project in itself rather than a smaller part of a larger political project. I think, Stephen, mm. that's kind of what you're always kind of wanting to get at. Like when you say, learn how to talk to people, learn how to be a more expansive, full human being, that's mm. a larger project for you. Like the identity yeah. thing is only a small piece of that, but but it gets... Here's, here's the anecdote. I was at a, um, who's it? Is Anthony? You, you know our mutual friend Anthony, Anthony who um, Myers. Yes, I think so. Teaches yeah, at Pratt. Him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He invited me to a workshop he was doing about a thing called Change Makers, and it was all about sort of um, leadership among folks of color in mm-hmm. the arts and adjacent uh, okay. uh, 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 uh industries mm-hmm. um anyway we were had these like small breakout groups and we were running through situations in which um we had an issue with someone in our professional circle or working oh. life doing something that was demeaning or difficult for us to deal with and we were sort of walking through strategies for how to deal with this right okay. with, with that with that moment and we got to this one woman, um, and I want to say she's South American, not positive about that, but she's Latin. Um, mm-hmm, and we mm-hmm. were talking about some work situation in which someone was mispronouncing her name, I think it was, and mm-hmm. not pronouncing her name correctly. And she said that she felt this way and that way about it and felt really uncomfortable and, mm-hmm. and demeaned. And, and so someone else in the group, not me, said to her, well, here's a strategy. Why don't you do this? And I don't remember precisely what she did, what she said. But mm-hmm. I remember she said the thing, and it was like a light bulb went on. And okay. everybody else in the group was like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what you should do. Yeah. So so mm-hmm. one or two of us turned to her and said, what do you think about that? You, you want to try that? And she's like, um, uh, uh, I don't, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe it kind of like, and it took me a minute. And I was like, oh, my God. I realized you're not willing to let go of this hurt yet. Like, you want to hold on to this. Like, you're not willing to, you're, you, whatever this thing brings up for you, like, mm. you're not ready to just, like, do the thing that would get you through it. You're just not ready yet. I think there's something... Mm. And the way you described it, that there's a surrender there, there's a tension, there's mm-hmm. a make or break moment, right? Mm-hmm, so you're mm-hmm. having what you feel, like if if I assume the woman's, um, I yeah, I can't really say that, put myself in a position, but what, what the story makes me think that the woman may have not even been able to see a pathway to what you guys were discussing as a way to manage with mm-hmm. a lot less tension and anger and frustration mm-hmm. and also personalization on you because most shit ain't about you. You know, mm-hmm. it's about mm-hmm. the idea of you or whatever. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. And so, um, but when you said that, I was like going, wow, what a beautiful moment for transformation. Right. And it may pop in her head. It may, the bomb may go off later. Later. Exactly. So, so you exactly. Seated, you along with your fr- um, colleagues were seeding this idea of like, yes. you don't have to do it this way. Right. Yeah, so I, I, I sometimes I don't care if it happens then. I'm uh-huh. like, maybe it'll happen later. I don't know. But I'm just, I like those beautiful moments. I think those are awesome. Right, but I think what I was getting at too was in using that was you, all of us, are involved mm-hmm. in this sort of larger project. Yes. And I think some of the people we call colleagues, even friends, mm-hmm. are not. Like, that's not their project like they may have just a different project and their project may be what we read as a kind of over personalization um that's that's become a kind of political project in itself so Mm. i think i think i want to say that for for me in that moment i saw that woman dealing with this moment Mm -hmm. where she could have overcome or at least i think she could have overcome that uncomfortable work situation uh and and stopped allowing that to be a burden for her, right? Mm-hmm, like she could have mm-hmm, just like, mm-hmm. you know, get get the thing off her back. Um, and it may just be that she just has a different project. I like that a lot. 
Because I think that if you ask people, listeners who are listening to this podcast, what is your project here? <laughs> you know, it's very personal. And sometimes it it's just like on the body. You, we just it's very clear what what you're interested in. Other times not, but I definitely think my project is being a more fully actualized human being, and that's nobody and an ethical one and a one who's coming out of good faith. That's my project. It's a hard project. It might be the only project I have. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, yeah, it's probably the, it's the only project that's worth having. I think honestly, mm-hmm. I mean, since you have this one experience here before you're gone and, you know, interact with the people that you interact with. Mm. Um, I, I, I would probably, and I I know we're probably coming up on time, but um, you know, I am not at all convinced that that is most of what permeates the cultural discourse right now. And is 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 as much uh, your way of approaching that, Stephen, is as close to the current project as Paul was to Jerry Falwell. Like I just, I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't think so. I, I think, and of course, there's no other way to be than than how you approach that. Or you know, I, I would encourage you know any of us, myself certainly included in that, to approach it. But it's it's just not what's happening, and mm. that language has been co-opted by people whose project is essentially a bourgeois project, and mm. and what I would what I would call a, a largely a white project, um, mm-hmm. regardless of the co- the actual color of the skin of the people that are engaged mm. in that project. Mm. Mm. I th- think most people see themselves as being kind of what you said earlier, Travis, where. Well, you didn't say this, but I added it on my brain, which is if you're the Maisel is that Maisel's need hierarchy of needs or whatever. Oh, Maslow. Maslow. Yeah, Yeah, thank you. Um, That thinking of using that as an example. And let's see, how can I gloss that? It's that if your needs aren't taking care of your basic needs, it's hard for you to conceptualize these larger concepts of. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. self actualization, which, which yeah. I think, yeah, sexual actualization, which I do think is problematic. But mm. what I do like about it is that people often talk about these things. I need to, da, 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 I need this, I need this, I need this, whatever. And then mm. that feels like until that's taken care of, then I can operate and think about what's happening over in Poland. You know, <laughs> I can think about those people mm-hmm. who are um, driven out by immigrants because of disaster, national disasters or whatnot. Mm-hmm. I do mm-hmm. feel like that that does have some merit for me in that way mm-hmm. um, because I've heard it over and over again. I ain't got time for that, you know? Mm-hmm. And I go, as long as, you, and it's not even belly button, um, you know, was it navel gazing? It's more mm. of, I need to take care of this thing right now with me. And that becomes the project. Mm. And that's certainly a part of my project, but it's not the project. Because mm. that's always a matter of shifting in some in some regard. Do you know? Mm-hmm. You get a job, you yeah, don't yeah, have a job, you sure. do this, you do that or whatever. So if that's mm. taken as a granted, my imagination and my kindness is so much more interesting to me. Mm. Do you know? And that's what I'm looking for in other people. Because I'll say this, Travis, when you said, you know, you don't feel like that's most people's project, my brain goes, I think if they had... I think that if we spent more time engaging people and they were safe, they felt safe and they felt like they could say certain kinds of things, we, we, we might have a different, um, different uh, percentage of folks because um, I think you need, the only thing- we're acting out too much about what we think we should do versus what we are, you know? So I am, uh, I'm, I'll say this and then I'll give Seth the last word. Uh, mm-hmm. I agree with you. to the point that I don't agree with you, which is that I think that, yeah, that's, that's where most people are at. I do think that the vast, vast majority are exactly what you just described, but the people who are driving cultural discourse are not, they're out, they're outliers. They're on, they're on the tail end of, of, of typical human behavior and they, they've taken advantage of this cultural moment to, oh, yeah. uh, to, dr- to drive us into a ditch, I think. So anyway, Seth, please. Yeah. I just, I think I want to end on that note of echoing what Steven said uh, earlier about, um, about, uh, 
uh, how he laughed at the moment, uh, the passage in the piece where um, the writer says something about um, uh, expecting um, or asking people who are race frauds uh, or, or identity fraud uh, mm -hmm. uh, to to uh, basically you know be better than themselves to like find a moment where they're um, allowing <laughs> somebody else to be their better selves and not not trying mm -hmm. to take advantage of the situation. Right. Yeah. Right. And Stephen Stephen's like, yeah, no, they're not going to do that. <laughs> that's why they're. That's why they're. <laughs> that's frauds. their project. That's that, yes. that's their yeah. project. So I want to say, I just yeah. kind of want to leave us with this. Like, I think it's incumbent on us to to be aware of what our project is and to st and to Absolutely. stick to our guns. It is also really important to figure out what the fuck other people's projects are and to be able to like identify it in the moment and bring to bear whatever mm. we need to do, bring to bear in the moment to um to to get make sure everybody else in the room knows what that recognizes that project too. It's like, "Hey, hey, hey, yeah. here's what they're doing." Just so, just so we're all on the same page. Here's what I'm doing. Here's what you're doing. And that could be fun because you can do it creatively. So mm -hmm. you don't have to go point. No, fire, fire. You know, you can, you could just go. So what you what you're saying is this, right? Right. You know. Right. This interesting right. way of getting it. Yeah. Right. For oh. sure. I'm in. I'm keeping my word. I'm not saying anything. So. Um, <laughs> but you just so said something. Thank you. I, <laughs> So thank you very much for the conversation and we'll we'll talk next week. Get some okay. sleep drivers. Take care. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. Later. Bye.